So we want to talk about Bethesda, a place of healing. And if you want to turn your Bibles to uh, John chapter 5, we're going to read verses 2 through 9 and then also read verse 14. We'll see that in the, in the text. And I'll have it up, but um, use your Bibles, make notes, underline stuff, circle stuff, whatever you need that'll help you to retain the things that we want to talk about. And I want to begin the sermon by talking about Jesus Christ. I mean, He is the reason... We are here, and the reason that we just talked about around the table uh, about the forgiveness of sins and the shed blood. In John chapter 14, Jesus is going through the process now of beginning to prepare His disciples for His death and for Him leaving them. And so Philip comes to Him here in, in about verse 8, and He, he says to, to Jesus, If you'll just show us the Father, it'll suffice us. It'll satisfy us. Even at this moment, they have traveled with Jesus. They have witnessed His miracles. They have seen Him teach and heard words that were so precious. But yet, even at this moment, they're still a little confused about who He is. And the ultimate satisfaction would be the ultimate proof that he was who he said he was would be to demonstrate or to show them God the Father. And many prophets before had done wonderful works and none of them like Jesus. In fact, you will remember that when John uh, Sent his John was in prison and he sent his disciples to go inquire of Jesus. Is, is he the one or do we look for another? I don't know necessarily that John was doubting, but maybe his disciples were. Maybe they needed an answer. And they sent him to him and Jesus didn't answer them. He went about and he taught and he healed and he raised and he did all of these things and said, Now, go tell John what you saw and what you heard. That was proof of who he was the Son of God, God in the flesh. But Philip and perhaps others had doubts. Maybe there's some doubts among us here today as well about who this Jesus Christ is. And so Jesus says, Philip, have I been so long time with you and yet thou hast not known me? You don't know who I am? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then in John chapter 20, in verse 30 and 31, we find in many other signs, truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you will have life through His name. And not just life, in contrasting Himself with Satan, which is no contrast at all, but He did this to demonstrate to them, He said, Satan is come forth but to steal, to kill, and destroy. We read this in John 10. And he says, But I have come to give life, and it more abundantly. So he didn't come just to give us life. He came to give us an abundant life. Now don't confuse wealth and riches with an abundant life. Because it's much more than that. Much more than that. Much deeper than that. But that's what He came 
to do. In Psalm 23 and verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the want there means lack or have a need. I shall not want for joy because in His presence is the fullness of joy. I will not want for peace because He is the Prince of Peace. I will not want for a friend because He's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I will not want for power because He's El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. I will not want for direction because He is the Lord, my shepherd. And my shepherd will lead His sheep and take them safely through the valley of the shadow of death and deliver them on the other side. There is none like Jesus. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, the first part of that says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. There is no one else like Jesus. Search the world. Search history. There's no one like Him. He's the greatest of the great. The Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. He's the good shepherd that gave His life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd that leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. He is the chief shepherd who one day will return and gather His flocks and take us to heaven. He is the Lamb, as John said, that comes to take away the sins of the world. He is our Savior. Here's our elder brother. He is the prophet. He's the high priest. He's the high tower. He's the buckler. He is the highway of holiness that Isaiah described. There is no one else like Him. And yet He came to this earth, put His arms around the post, and took the stripes and the scourging and the beating, and the humiliation. His blood was shed. The pain that racked His body. And with just a mere thought on His part, it could have all been over. Everything could have been destroyed and done. Now He told His disciples, you know, I could call legions of angels. He didn't need to do that. (laughs) But that was a symbol to them of the power and what He had at His disposal. And He was betrayed. And He was abandoned. And they watched Him there as we sang this morning. Oh, there's no one like Jesus. There's no one that loves you like Jesus. We love one another. A parent loves a child. A child loves a parent. A husband loves a wife. And a wife loves a husband. And friends love each other. But we don't love each other the way that Jesus does. Not yet. Not fully. Not completely. And so when we think about Bethesda, a place of healing, we need to understand who it is that is the center of the story. Brother Timothy has started a series on knowing Jesus, knowing Christ. And I'm hoping to supplement that a little bit with looking at some of the the stories that the gospel give us, some of the testimony and the witnesses tell us about this man on a case-by-case basis to hopefully help support that teaching that he is, that he is doing. So with that as our backdrop, let's begin to read. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and there... There is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, 
which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain season, at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever, so, whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Now let's pause there for a second. I want to make sure that we draw attention to a couple of things about this. And, and there is no way this morning that we're going to talk about every, every item that can be talked about here. And, and you'll see a list of the things that I want to accomplish in our study today. And it's not everything. But I do want us to notice that it was by the sheep market. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a, a sales barn or a feed lot where they're going to put animals together and, and to slaughter them. But essentially, that's what this is, except it was for sheep. And it was for the sacrifices that were made in the temple. And this is right next door to this pool. Now, when you think about this Bethesda, this pool with five porches, it sounds pretty, pretty great. And it probably was, but it's right next door in smelling distance of the sheep. And I just point that out as an extra little detail. You didn't pay anything extra for it. Uh, that the situation where all of these halt and maimed and withered and sick and impotent people were put... Day in and day out, you had to smell that. And it was part of their existence there. Um, notice that it's a great multitude. A great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered. So it's crowded. There's a lot of people, a lot of people in there. And then notice whosoever then first. When the water was troubled. Think about that for a moment. We'll come back to that. And notice that he had an infirmity 38 years. He didn't have it all of his life, apparently. Apparently this was something, and we'll see in verse 14 that we read, that there was something that probably happened that caused his infirmity 38 years before this moment or this time period. So let's continue. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been, in, been, had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath." Drop down to verse 14. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. So some things to highlight is, of course, that Jesus saw him and the fact that there's this great multitude and they're all over the place. Jesus is the Son of God, of course, and knows all things. But he saw him. And all this misery around him. You know, when we read of many of the accounts of the Gospels, Jesus healed everybody. Everybody that expressed an interest and everybody that came to hear him teach, 
and he would heal them all, but that's not the case here. And I find that interesting. Then he asked him this question, Wilt thou be made whole? What an interesting question. Then, there in 14, Thou art made whole, sin no more. Now all of us are sinners. Maybe he's just talking about sin in general. Don't go sin. Lest a worse thing come upon thee. Well, we know that the body is one thing and God is much more concerned with our holiness than He is our happiness or our health. He's more concerned about that which is eternal. It's not that He doesn't care about you or your health or your, even your happiness. But those are secondary items. He focuses on the spiritual. And if the spiritual is right, it doesn't matter what is happening with the body. Because the body is going to be shed and the spirit will live forever. But he says, sin no more lest the worst thing come upon thee. It seems to me, and we don't have a lot of facts about this situation at all, but it seems to me that there was something that he did that contributed to where he found himself. And Jesus was telling him that a worse thing, you think the last 38 years has been tough. You just keep on sinning and see what happens in eternity. I doubt he said it. That probably wasn't his heart. That's, that's kind of daddy coming out, I guess, a little bit, talking to one of my children. But he's warning him about that. So those are some, some highlights. Now, this, this is what I want to talk about and pull out of the story. Anticipation, forgotten, time and place, the point of why, unproductive or lack of productivity, and then the divine question. So we'll talk about these one by one. So anticipation. You think about this sheep market, it was, a, it was a place of anticipation. You would think that with the misery that was around it, everyone's eyes would be right on that water. Because if they looked away and the water troubled, they lost their opportunity. So they're anticipating that. And as an, anticipating that, when others had to move around or maybe some left to go get something to eat or maybe food was brought to them, we don't have a lot of details, we don't know. But people were probably in a position of trying to edge closer and closer and fill any gap around that because of your physical condition. When that water moved, you needed in it and you needed to be first. How difficult is that to bear to know that you had to be first? And, and not just that you had to be first, but if you were first, what that meant to the other people who might even be in worse situation than you. They lost their opportunity. Did the water trouble every day? A couple of times a day? Once a week? Once a month? Once a year? We don't have those details. We don't know. But it is a place of anticipation. But it's not that way today. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. You don't have to delay coming to Jesus. You don't have to be first. You can even be last. If you know when last is going to be, and that would be fine. But you don't. Dennis said, we're not promised tomorrow. Clay prayed about tomorrow. And we don't know. So, 
with Jesus, you can come to him now. And when you come to him, it doesn't bump somebody else out. You don't have to worry about that. You only have to worry about your relationship with Jesus. You're not going to interfere with other people's relationship and come into Jesus. They can all come to Jesus, all at the same time. And if there's 10 or 15, 20 or 30 or every single one of you that need to make some changes in your life, you can all come forward and receive it. Make that dedication. It's not going to bump somebody else out. You can all come to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, tall or short, fat or thin. It doesn't matter if you've got a Ph.D., a master's, or a bachelor's degree, or no degree. It doesn't matter if you're white-collar, gray-collar, or blue-collar. It just doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is you coming to Jesus. Jesus can do a mighty work in every one of your lives and in my life. So expect today, and get up every day expecting today God is going to do something in my life. And we'll talk more about that as well. Forgotten. This had to be a fairly desolate place. Not because of lack of people, but because of the misery of the people. Think about it. It's a place that is full of people that for the most part, life had just simply passed by. They're so focused on the water and the movement of the water and their own misery that life around them has just passed on. They're not alive. They're not dead. They're existing. And they may feel forgotten. And maybe some of you today feel forgotten. People have the best interest at heart and best desires at heart. But over time, this, this fella, maybe he had friends at the beginning. Maybe he had a friend that it would help take him there or, or bring him food or just sit with him to help him into the water. And then day went by and day went by and week went by and month went by and year after year after year. Maybe somewhere along the way, he lost those friends. Maybe it was their fault. They're weak in the flesh. And sometimes we're weak in the flesh and we don't give attention to our brothers and sisters or our friends the way that we should. And maybe that's happened to you and you feel forgotten. You may feel as no one, no one cares. That you're in your own little world there and that no one is your friend and no one is checking on you. Something in your life has taken such control over you that you don't know where it ends and you begin. And maybe you don't even recognize you have the problem, whatever that problem might be. We're studying about a situation with a man that had a physical problem, but I think we see in verse 14 that it wasn't just physical, it was spiritual. We want to take out of this the spiritual lessons that the Holy Spirit wants us to get and to help us connect those dots. Maybe you're watching for the water to move and you feel stuck. You're in the process of waiting and you feel forgotten, alone, maybe even abandoned in your place of suffering. You may have or going through any number of kinds of heartbreaking situations. And you may be right in the middle of it right now. Day in and day out, it's there. But I want you to know that 
Christ hasn't forgotten you. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. I don't know if Jesus has got a little bit of tongue-in-cheek as he says that. And, uh, but what I take from this, the fact that I'm, I'm, it's easier to count now than it used to be, but the hairs on my head, he knows the number of them. And that we're worth more than many sparrows, and not one of them falls without his knowledge. We talked about Jesus being that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. So even when your earthly brothers or your sisters or your cousins or your neighbors seem to abandon you, he has not. And He will not abandon you. Time and place. It's so interesting to me that when we read the Bible and the different stories and the storylines that are, that are there, the testimonies of God's people and of His prophets and of the Holy Spirit that have left us that inspired word and those, those examples, how often being at the place of his purpose at the time was so critical and so important. I think about the Brotherhood meeting last week and Saturday and Sunday. Well, the whole weekend was just powerful. But those sermons, of course, hit me right between the eyes, and maybe some of you were there, uh, that it hit you that way too. And as tears streamed down my face, and I look around and I see tears rolling down the faces of other men, strong men, real men, who weren't afraid to, to allow the Word of God to pierce their heart and to expose weaknesses in their character and in their, their duties to, to their families. That was a time and a place for the purpose of God. And if you missed it, and I, one of the things as I was sitting there, we had a program like we have here with ushers outside and as part of our security program. And uh, I just hated, just hated that some of those men were outside and maybe not being able to hear and engage. And, and if you weren't there and if you were one of those guys that had your duties outside, as soon as this comes out on, on YouTube, I beg you, watch them. It's not like being there, but watch them. It'll be a very important to you that, you've do, that you do that. So it's important for us to be at the right time, at the right place for His purpose. We have a called assembly this morning. That is a time and a place. And there is a purpose for you being here today. So never doubt that. So listen and be still and maybe today will be the day that you hear that thing, that kernel, that, that pearl, that word and the song and the prayer and the communion and the sermon that pierces the, the depth of your heart, that reveals to you something that needs to change. Today could be that day. Jesus walked into this, this porch area and this pool and it was God's purpose for that lame man to be healed, to make him whole. But you know, he'd been that way for 38 years, waiting on God's purpose for 38 years. 38 years is a long time. I don't think Wayne is 38 yet. I think he's going to be 38 in two years. 
one year. Anyway, that's a long time to think about. And this person was in this situation for 38 years. You know, if we have to wait a few weeks or a few months, we're ready to throw the towel in and we're ready to call it quits. We're ready to say, God does not care. Where is God? Who is God? Does God even exist? God, where are you? Why are you so far away from me when I am in such pain and and misery in my life? 38 years of waiting. He got nothing. And now apparently doesn't even have a friend. Nothing. Many of us may feel that we've been waiting a lifetime. When maybe we've been waiting so long, we're asking that question. When? Understand that his delays are not his denials and that he does not operate on our time schedule. Second Chronicles 16.9a, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show him strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God is searching. He's looking. And his eyes are going to and fro. He's looking for that person that is at the right place, the right time, for the purpose of God working in his life. And he says to the person whose heart is perfect toward him. Maybe we have spent so much time at the pool of Bethesda because we haven't been perfect toward him. Complete. Doesn't mean no mistakes. Maybe we've prolonged our time there because we are not seeking His will in our life, because we aren't searching, because we aren't applying. But He's there. He's on the edge of His seat. Think about Elijah and the widow. The story that we have there is a great drought, and God told Elijah to go to this widow's house in this foreign land uh, and, and that He would provide for him there. And not only to provide for him, He ended up providing for the widow and, the, and her child. And that she was down to her last bit of oil and, 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 and meal to make some biscuits or a loaf. And that was it. And then she was going to die because there was nothing else for them. And God provided for them and they lived. How, how ridiculous would it have been for Elijah to go, oh, that's a foreign land. You know, she's not one of your chosen ones. You sure about this? Begin to question. What about David and Goliath? Jesse, his father, put some provision together and said, take this, give it to the captain, and, and check on the welfare of your brothers. What if David would have said, old man, I am so tired of doing all your bidding. I'm already taking care of all your sheep. I'm already working. They're off doing who knows what. And now you want me to take this stuff to them? When have you given me provision? What if he decided, you know what? I'll take the provision. Yes, sir. I'll go do that. And he just goes out into the wilderness where the sheep, and he ate the cheese and the milk and the bread and those sorts of things. And he ate the provision. And then he comes back and says, hey, they're doing fine. The war's going our way. Everything's cool. Peace, love out. You know. What if he'd have done that? He would not have killed Goliath. He would have not have led the children of Israel's army into victory. You remember, after he killed Goliath, 
he then ran toward the armies. Goliath wasn't just all that he had on his mind. And then become the king of Israel. Place, time, purpose. What about the apostles of Pentecost? Jesus told them to go and, and wait till they were endued with power. What if they'd have said, well, you know, we already have some power because he'd given them some power to do some, some miraculous things. Maybe that's enough. Maybe, uh, you know, I can go fishing and I can uh, get the power later. You know, it's not really a convenient time for me. The fish are really biting right now and I need to go catch them. What if they'd have done that? What if they'd have done that? They wouldn't have been the, the men that turned the world upside down the Holy Spirit working through them to do that. So, time, place, purpose, they're important. The point of why. You may have been praying for answers for a lot of years for a lot of different situations and maybe you're suffering from some things. You've fasted, you've prayed, nothing. You've wept bitterly, you've waited, nothing. You may ask, why has this happened to me? God, where are you? Why aren't you taking action in my life? Don't you hear my prayers? Don't you see my situation? In his misery, Job said, why was I not born dead? We ask why when we feel that we have been let down. Like Martha when she said, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, had you been here, my marriage wouldn't have fallen apart. Lord, had you been here, fill in the blank for your situation. Lord, had you been here. So yeah, Job asked why, but in his asking he also said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And Martha asked why, but she also said, Even now, whatsoever you ask of God, I know he'll give it to you. Even though her brother's in the grave for four days. See, there's a difference between asking why and losing faith. Jesus asked on the cross, My, Why have you forsaken me? So the question isn't necessarily unholy in and of itself. But we can't lose faith. We can't begin to look so internally that we lose focus on the other things that are going on. We get so caught up in the me, my, and I world. And then we ask, we ask why. This has become one of my favorite verses over the years. And with a focus on 11. But I want us to read 12 and 13 because I think they give us additional insight. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Maybe we're still lying in misery at the pool of Bethesda because we haven't been searching for God with our whole heart. Maybe we've been holding back something. Maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's whatever. We've been holding back that and saying, I'm serving God. And yet misery after misery after misery keeps coming into your life. 
Sin has consequences. This man's sins had consequences for 38 years. And if he didn't straighten up, it would have eternal consequences. And so do our sins. So do the decisions that we make from day to day. They create consequences for us. And they can bring misery into our life. Even with forgiveness, we still bear some of those things. And we need to make sure that we are searching for God with our whole heart. That we have repented. That we've truly repented of our sin. And that we're going to search for Him. And we're going to grope for Him. And we're going to reach to Him. And we're not going to be satisfied with just living in anticipation at the pool. We're going to become productive. We're going to find ways with whatever our limited resources or abilities are. And all of us have limitations. We have physical limitations. We have experience limitations. We have limitations based on scriptural knowledge. We all are different. Thank God for the diversity that we have. For the body He has designed to bring together and that every part will supply a need. Are you supplying the need that you have? Or are you focused on your inabilities? I'm telling you, if you focus on your inabilities and what you can't do, you're going to be miserable. And likely, you're going to make other people miserable. So stop it. Just stop it. Start focusing on what you can do for God, not what you can't do for God. And let God take care of the rest. Let God put you in the body as He sees fit and work you together. So I jumped ahead of my notes a little bit. All right, let's go. So find ways to be productive. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. One of the things to do when you feel like God hasn't moved or responded in ways you expect, we have a tendency to get stuck. What we need to do is get busy. We get unproductive as a father, or as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as an employee, as a member of a church, of an elder or deacon or saint. We get unproductive, we get stuck. Because God hasn't moved fast enough according to our timetable when, in actuality, He is moving. And we don't see it. We miss it. Why? Because we become so internally focused, we can't see it. And we need to get off of that. We need to be so much less internally focused and become more externally focused on the needs that are around us and become steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. His labor, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God's Word that He has given us will not return to Him void. It will impact your life. It will change your life. It will solve your marital problems. It will solve your relationship problems. It will solve your employment problems. It will solve every problem that you can come up with. If you do what it says, because His Word will not come back to Him void. What does that mean? God is in the effort of molding and making you into the image of His dear Son. 
And so He has given us His Word to do that. And when we apply the Word in our life, we are allowing Him to mold us and to make us into the image of His dear Son, Jesus Christ. That's who our goal is. It's not me, it's not you. If you're living with expectation that you'll be great, if you could just be like Brother Jerry, you will be miserable and you will fall so short. Because Jerry's got a lot of work to do. Every one of us do. Every one of us has some limitation, but that is no excuse to not be productive. So I want to spend the rest of our time, and I will speed up, on this divine question. Wilt thou be made whole? Isn't that a curious question to you? You, he's He's laying by this pool. He's obviously crippled in some way. He's been that way for 38 years. You think when Jesus asked him, Wilt thou be made whole? The answer would be, Yes! Yes! It wasn't. It wasn't. I find that so amazing. Rather, he said, Well, you know, I don't have anyone to put me in the water. That is so curious to me. I know people who have chronic pain issues and chronic situations in their life, if you walked up to them and said, would you like to be whole? I think the first answer is going to be yes. And it's just odd to me that that wasn't his first thing. It went rather to what he couldn't do. What's your focus today? To whom are you looking as your provider? He was looking to somebody to help him get in the water. Understand, 38 years of disappointments, 38 years of of, of things, of misery and of anticipation and internally focused and all of those sorts of things. I get it. I get it. And I recognize it because I've been there. I've been eternally focused and sometimes I still am way too much. Shouldn't be any. But when you look to other men to solve your problems, you will seek the ways of man to fix them and it'll only lead to more misery. You need to look to God. You need to look to His will for your blessing. So you may have grown impatient. You've arrived at the place of God's purpose, but God didn't move quickly enough. The results didn't come fast enough. Jesus is asking you the same question that He asked this man. Will you be made whole? All of us need something to be restored of. Some of us can easily identify it, and if we have any question about it, you can identify it for us. Um, wives and husbands are good about that with each other, about things they can improve on. Sometimes we've had a problem for so long, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a sinful habit. Maybe it's an unbridled emotion like anger, fear, worry, jealousy evil surmising, envy. Maybe it is an addictive habit. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, promiscuity, gluttony. Maybe it's a toxic tongue like lying, gossip, tail-bearing, harsh or angry words. Maybe some of these things have been such a part of you for so long that, again, like we said earlier, you don't know where you end and it begins. It's become a part of who you are and you identify with it. Even though it's bringing misery in your life. Even though it is 
keeping you from excelling, even though it is interfering with your life and your relationships. Will you be made whole? Christ has come to set you free. And when He does that, when He those things that I just listed off, and we could have listed off maybe a hundred more, any one of those that you are set free from by Jesus Christ is just as miraculous as anything we read about in the Scriptures. I pray that you do want to answer this question in the affirmative. So let's look at what Jesus' instructions were. He said, rise and take up thy bed and walk. The first command was, rise. Christ was asking this man to do exactly what he hadn't been able to do in 38 years. How silly would it have been if he, at that moment, would have said, oh, well, gee, I'm sorry. It's, uh, I've got my problems. You don't know my situation. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what my husband is like or my wife is like or my children is. You don't know what my boss is like at work. We began making all of these. What, how silly would it have been for him to do that? But he didn't. Thank God he didn't. Because had he done that, he had been likely to die on that pallet. Then he says, take up your bed and walk. 38 years have been confined to that bed, that pallet. And now in just a moment of time, he's standing on his feet. He's about to take steps that have been that he had been longing to make. He had been dreaming an impossible dream. What's your dream today? What is it that you want to be set free from? What is it that you want to put out of your life forever? What is that sin that does so easily beset you and that you need help with? We find that really there are two kinds of people in the world. There's dreamers and there's doers. You remember the 12 spies that went out to look at the land, the promised land, the land that God said flows with milk and honey? They go and they search it out. They come back and say, truly, all of them, truly, this is a land that flows with milk and honey. It is everything God has told us it would be. But there's giants in the land. And we were as grasshoppers in our eyes, yeah. Ten of them were dreamers. Ten of them were dreamers. They dreamed about that. They had heard about it. And now they're going to go back to dreaming it? But there were two doers there. And those dreamers didn't get to see the promised land. They dreamed about cities they did not build, vineyards they did not plant, wells they did not dig. The doers went in and took those. Dreamers set a lifetime by the pool of Bethesda and wonder what it would be like to walk. Doers find ways to be productive. Dreamers come to church every Sunday and wonder what would it be like to walk out of this place never to be the same again, to have my burden truly relieved, to have my sin and my guilt that I feel totally washed away, where I can walk out and not have that burden again. Doers bow the head, they repent, They pick up their cross, and they move forward. So what are you today, a dreamer or a doer? This is the right place, and this is the right time. Jesus Christ, the King of glory, is here. He is a witness to what we are doing. We invoked His name. We invoked the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to be with us as witnesses. 
And if you have the boldness to affirmatively answer this divine question, will you be made whole? You will walk out of here today never to be the same. But you have to make that decision. You have to let go and you have to let God do what God does best.